Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements or anything, so let's just jump right into it. The fan project Silent Hill 2 Enhanced Edition is now up to its seventh revision, and this is a project that takes the PC version of Silent Hill 2 and tries to implement a bunch of bug fixes and enhancements that make it on par with its console versions and then some. Uh, I guess the PC version, the original release, wasn't as good as the console versions, so fans got together to try to hack it and improve it, uh, and now they're up to version 7. So if you're a fan of the game and you want to check out all of the enhancements and fixes that have been done to it, Check out Alex's post, check out the video that's embedded in it as well, uh, and definitely give it a try because I'm always really happy to see fan projects like this. Uh, Even if it's not a game that's your favorite, you have to at least respect the fact that there's stuff out there that could be better and fans are making it happen. The fan port of Castlevania to the Intellivision called Intellivania is now available for purchase. The price is $60 for a complete in-box version, and it's available right from IntellivisionRevolution.com. Now, this was a game that I had seen back in the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, the last one that was out, and I was so impressed by it when I saw it. I talked about it here on the podcast, but uh, John Hancock did a video on it and also kind of dug into what the game looks and sounds like, and it's really impressive. Um, The only thing about John's video is he had to capture it in composite or RF, I believe, uh, because there is kind of a shortage on RGB mods for the Intellivision. We're working on that, though. I think there's one that might be released fairly soon, so if you have an Intellivision that you're looking to upgrade with better video quality output, then uh, it should be coming fairly soon. And as far as the game's concerned, I'm not sure if it's available to purchase ROM only. Um, Hopefully, after a certain period of time, at least, it will be, because I'm sure there are certainly people that have other ways of playing Intellivision that would love to experience this game and really appreciate it for all the reasons that you should appreciate this game, but might not have an Intellivision or might not want to go and RGB mod it to be able to really get the best picture quality out of it. So either way, hopefully we'll have a new RGB mod for the Intellivision coming soon. And if you're a fan of Castlevania, at the very least, check out John's video on it. Uh, But hopefully I'll be able to take a closer look in RGB at some point in the future. A few weeks ago, people have found an interesting way to enable composite video output from a DS Lite. So this mod is very specifically for the DS Lite model, not the original or the DSi, but it works by enabling a hidden feature in the code that enables a 10-bit digital signal that's able to be converted to composite video. Now, this project is completely open source. The team has put all of the files up, and I don't know if anybody has made them available for purchase, but you could certainly make your own if you have the boards made and build them yourself. And it's both an amazing mod and not the most practical. And I mean that with the utmost respect to the team behind it, but I'll talk about the positives first. 
it is so cool that people were able to find this hidden feature, whether the feature was there for debug reasons or whether Nintendo actually had planned on something like possibly a TV out mod for the DS uh, or the DS Lite specifically. It's really still unknown, but it's just awesome that this was found and that the information was released to the public. I love projects like this, and I really love digging into how things work, uh, digging into what the teams that created them were thinking about at the time. And I think this is just a very cool thing. And if you have a beat up DS light that you want to try hacking this with, absolutely go for it. Now, the only downside is this is not the consoleized DS solution that people had been waiting for. There are still the nitro captures that are available that play retail carts that have that you could output up to s video on each that are a good solution uh, but they're very expensive they're rare and hard to find and of course there was the mod that woozle has been teasing that uh, i'm not sure the status of it now that other projects are coming out but uh, I think those are more geared to getting really good quality out of it, as well as the, uh, I believe there are some USB hacks as well that you might actually be able to pull data from the DS or 3DS onto your computer for streaming or capture. And of course, there's always software emulation. But overall, this one is just a fun project that gets you composite video out. And hopefully at some point in the future, we'll have some kind of DS mod that allows true digital HDMI output uh, or possibly even an FPGA core. That was teased a long time ago as well, and I believe is still in progress. But there's no word on uh, status or if it's even going to be fitting on the Mr. platform. It might need a completely different FPGA. So there's no status on that other than I think it's still in progress. So basically, with all respect to the team, this is an amazing find. This seems like a lot of fun. And if you're a tinkerer and you want to do it, absolutely give this a try. But I don't think this is the TV out mod that all of us have been waiting for that we could run out and mod our DSs with. Maybe I'm wrong though. Maybe that's exactly what people want. Composite video output from a DS. I'm not really sure. I guess it depends on your target device. If you're looking on playing on a consumer grade home CRT, yeah, I imagine that would be a great solution. But any other way, I would probably wait for the other ones. But I still really appreciate that the team did this and open sourced it. I recently posted a video about the Mr. Cade, which is essentially a Mr. I.O. board that has a JAMA connector on the end of it. So much like you would build an analog output Mr., you take the DE10, the heart of it, you add your RAM module, uh, and you plug that directly into this, and this provides the arcade signal output via the JAMA connector. And I believe the production version will have JVS output from the VGA. This prototype version had standard uh, regular RGBS level video from it. Um, and that's stuff like that's kind of why the video I did was more of a my journey into integrating this into my arcade setup and less about a deep dive into the product. Because while the video and audio output were excellent and all of the main features are exactly as you would hope, a lot of the little features changed from this prototype to what people will be receiving. Uh, all for the better, of course. You know, this is really aimed to be focused in arcade machines and to, to eliminate a lot of the problems that you might have when, when implementing it. And in fact, one of the things that Pork talked about was maybe instead of grabbing 5 volts from the power supply, it takes 12 volts and generates 5 volts from that to eliminate some of the issues I ran into and other people might have as well. So I'm not 100% sure what the final version will be, but the, uh, as long as the video and audio output is as good as this and it's as easy to use, it's got to be a winner because 
my little mistakes aside, this thing essentially would just plug in and work. So if you have a working arcade machine that you know is in good condition and doesn't have a cheap, crappy power supply like my mini uh, mini machine did here and is already in good condition, you could theoretically just plug this in and it starts working without any configuration or tweaking. Uh, you may have to remap the controls on it, but you don't only have to do that once, so it's not that big a deal. But overall, I liked it. There's other solutions out and coming out, but this one at the moment is the only one that you could pre-order that's just a basic, you know, turns your mister into an arcade board, essentially, type of setup. So I definitely liked it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the Mr. Project evolves in hardware. And I really will have uh, a Mr. video of sorts coming out relatively soon. I'm just waiting for a few other things to fall into place and I'll put that out. But hopefully you enjoy the video. I, I certainly love using the mister in this environment. Uh, and I even did a live stream a few weeks ago talking about how console games even feel really cool in arcade environment like in an arcade environment like this wow i can't talk today sorry but anyway everything is linked here and uh please check that all out if you're interested tito from macho nacho productions has just reviewed another ips screen for the game boy color this one's called the q5 and it's the largest backlit screen available for the gbc and i kind of have mixed feelings about this because it seems like there's a new backlit kit every week being released which is both amazing because i always like innovation and new ideas but also in many ways kind of annoying because Years ago, there were no good solutions. You had to deal with those terrible front-lit kits that I never liked. I never thought they gave an even uh, view of the screen. Maybe it was just my installations. That's plausible. Uh, and now you go from that to having a ton of different options, from a screen that's too small to a screen that's a good fit to now this one's uh, an extra-large screen, which I would always prefer. But overall, this particular screen looks to be really good. Tito didn't see any screen tearing or anything like that when he used it. So overall, it's uh, it just seems like a good choice if you haven't modded yours yet. But I do want to make a point. I know I sound like a broken record, but this is exactly why I talk about no-cut mods and about uh, when you do things like this, if there are aftermarket shells available, you should absolutely use those. Because if you cut yours six months ago for a different kit and you decided, wow, I really would have preferred this one. Maybe it won't fit. Maybe you can't, you can't uh, put plastic back without maybe epoxying something in, or, you know, maybe the opposite. Maybe you put this XL screen in and you go, ah, it just doesn't feel right. I want the smaller one. There's no way to put it back. So hacking up your original shells is always dangerous and you could never get it back the exact way it was. Whereas taking a $20 replacement I mean, I hate wasting anything, but if I had to choose, I would much rather hack up and end up accidentally wasting an aftermarket replacement than an original Nintendo shell, especially if it was like my childhood handheld or anything like that. Of course, they're your consoles. You could do anything that you want with them. You could cover them in gasoline and light them on fire if it really makes you happy. Uh, but if you're somebody that cares about preserving your electronics and your stuff, definitely consider you know taking your old shell out, cleaning it up, putting it away somewhere, and even using the original buttons and stuff if you prefer but grabbing a couple of replacement housings to to do mods like this but overall definitely check out tito's channel um i've been a fan of his for a while now uh, i watch all the videos but i only try to post the ones that i feel like are relevant here and i feel like all of us are really into backlit screen mods for handhelds so i uh, was happy to see this one pop up and i think he's got a couple of other cool things brewing this week so who knows we might be talking about him again next week as well 
The developer Robert Peep has just released an Atari Lynx core for the Mr. FPGA project, and it's already integrated in the main project, so all you have to do is run your favorite updater script. I currently am using Update All. I'm not sure if that'll change anytime soon, but that's the one I've been going to. And after updating with that, I rebooted. The Atari Lynx games folder was already created, so all I had to do was dump my ROMs in and start playing. It's not just a basic core, though. It's got some pretty cool features as well. Of course, there's the ability to rotate the screen, which is essential to play certain games where you would actually hold the links in a different way. So that's kind of important so you could play the whole library. And it's also got a 240p option so that if you're outputting via analog video, it'll fill the screen fully. Uh, the resolution of the links is actually 160 by 102. So by toggling the 240p mode, you get it to 320 by 204 so you actually get a full width of the screen uh, and it it looks awesome on crts it kind of feels like you're playing a game from the nes or master system era uh, and there's also save states fast forward and rewind a gp uh, a cpu and gpu turbo option uh, overall it's just a fully featured core so uh, if you're looking to try out the links library this is definitely an awesome way to do it don't forget that there's filters that can make it look like an lcd screen as well if you're going for that old school lcd look and overall, uh, I think the Lynx has a few games that are worth playing, and I mean that respectfully, because it's you got to keep in mind that these handheld consoles came out at a time where the entire point was to be able to play ports of your favorite games on the go. So while I always end up playing California games whenever I pick up a Lynx, um, it's obviously not the best version, but if you look back at the time, it would be an amazing way to play that game on the go. So I'm always interested in versions of games that still hold up now. I always joke, but I'm kind of serious too. I'm looking for the thunder in paradise for all of these old rare consoles. Uh, you know, a game that would actually make you consider buying the console just to have a fun and weird experience on. So if you have good recommendations for Lynx games and you have the time to do so, please post in the comments. I will read them and I'll add them all to my list of games to try. I owned a Lynx at one point, but didn't get to spend nearly as much time with it as I had wanted. Uh, not when I was a kid. I owned it, you know, at the beginnings of RetroArch. GB. So hopefully I'll be able to revisit it now on the Mister and really give it its fair chance. There's now an exploit that allows you to boot Homebrew on original PlayStation 1 hardware and even early original PlayStation 2 hardware. The exploit is called Tony Hacks, and it uses a memory card file to hack the software once you enter the create skater part of either Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 or 3. So basically you get this exploit onto a memory card, and the MemCard Pro would be the easiest because you just drop it right on your uh, SD card, and then boot into either Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 or 3, go in, and then when you hit create skater, it'll boot into this other mode that then allows you to boot homebrew. So that's really interesting because it's an exploit that's found and released so people could use that to do other things. But the website itself of Tony Hacks, uh, the very first thing it says, and I will read it and I will quote, why? The first question might pop up on your mind regarding this project is, why the fuck didn't you just install a mod chip? The answer is simple. I didn't want to mod my mint boxed PS1, but I didn't want to leave it rotting on a shelf either. So the website goes into detail about how the hack works, as well as other reasons on why you might want to use it. But overall, I think stuff like this is more important for the code behind it than for its actual use. Because like its own site says, many people will prefer to do things like use optical drive emulators or 
put a mod chip in to play CDRs or stuff like that. But there's a bunch of reasons why you might want to use this, you know, including using your original consoles if you'd like to. But overall, booting into a game and then going into it, launching something to then boot into another game is certainly not the most efficient way to do things these days. However, I could imagine a scenario where you use this on early PlayStation 2 hardware to boot into uh, a soft mod that allows you to create a free McBoot uh, memory card or something like that. I'm just kind of speculating here. I'm not even sure if that's possible. This might even allow for other stuff, uh, other hacks that you might need to perform that you wouldn't want to run your PlayStation hacked all the time, but you just want to run one thing. I'm kind of just throwing ideas out there, but I do think that its existence and the the code being shared itself is kind of more important than the practice of actually doing it. But either way, I think it's really awesome that it's out there. Uh, check out Dan's post for a lot more info on it. And of course, check out Modern Vintage Gamers video on this as well to get a more in-depth look of what actually is happening and how it looks when you perform the update or exploit. <laughs> ROM hacker Vitor Valela has just posted a 16 by 9 widescreen hack for Super Mario World that allows you to play the game in true 16 by 9 on the software emulator BSNES HD, which makes sense because that's also the emulator that allows you to do things like HD render mode 7 graphics. Um, and to be clear, like some of the other 16 by 9 patches we've talked about recently, this is not a stretch of the image. All of the characters and uh, all of the artwork on screen retain the same aspect ratio. This just expands the field of view on both sides to fill a 16 by 9 screen. And stuff like this is why I get so excited about software emulation. Anytime you're able to do stuff that you cannot do on original hardware may enhance the experience for some people. You know, it's up to you on how you like to play these games. But I just think stuff like this is very cool and very impressive and the reason why I would like to experience software emulation and, and why I keep up with it. It's just fun to, to see games like this in a different style. And it almost feels like something that could be a, a modern re-release because just by filling the screen makes it feel like a, a more modern game. Honestly, that's just my opinion. It's up to you, but I highly recommend checking this out. One question that I heard the moment I saw this, though, is can you do it on the Mister? And at the moment, no. It might be possible, but it's not an easy thing to accomplish, so I, I probably wouldn't count on it. Um, also, if anybody wants to have a little bit of fun, there's a VTOR also posted a 21 by 9 ultra wide version. I don't know if uh, the patch is available, but you could check it out on Twitter if you want to see what that's like, but that might be a little too wide. So this week brings some pretty good news and some pretty bad news to PlayStation software preservationists. The bad news is that it looks like the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation Portable stores will probably be going offline on July 2nd, and the PlayStation Vita store will go offline on August 27th. Uh, and if this is true, that means that a lot of the software that's only available on those platforms may be gone for good. And this is where us dirty pirates come in, because without people who want to back up their own games and make sure that if their PlayStation 3 dies, they could buy another one and load them on, all of these games, or at least a lot of these games, might be lost forever. So it's kind of depressing to see because in the digital era, there is a real, a very real chance of this stuff being lost. Whereas in at least the physical media era, 
there are still people finding stuff on a regular basis. So unless somebody finds an old hard drive with their package on it, then you never know if some of the software will just disappear. On the brighter side of things, though, Hidden Palace has just uncovered 752 unique PlayStation 2 demos, betas, and prototypes. So that's pretty awesome. Um, I haven't gone through the full list of all almost 1,000 games, but uh, there seems, from what I've heard, to be a lot of very interesting stuff on there and things that preservationists might want to dig into. And you might even be able to find a few hidden gems of unreleased stuff. I'm not really sure, but it's, it's definitely worth looking into if you're a PlayStation 2 fan and you want to check stuff like that out so check out dan's post for more info but kind of a roller coaster ride of emotions for uh, old school playstation fans this week a software update was just posted for the usb to db15 project that adds support for playstation 5 dual sense controllers now this project as you might have guessed from its name is an open source way to take certain usb controllers and interface them with db15 connectors the same connectors used in the neo geo aes as well as pretty much all super guns um, the compatibility list is pretty long and ronnie uh, ronnie linked to it in his post here but um, it's pretty impressive it's basically a great way to take a ton of different USB controllers and use them on any of your super guns with your arcade machines. And it's based off of Arduino software and really designed to be easy to assemble for anybody with a little bit of patience and some soldering skills. And of course, the ability to flash Arduino stuff, which is pretty easy. It's basically the same as the GBSC project. So I'm always a huge fan of open source stuff, especially when it's really helpful projects like this. I haven't had a chance to test one myself, but if it works as well or close to the undammed adapter, then I would call it a giant win. Um, I'm not sure if anybody made a case for it either, but those are always super appreciated with projects like this, so you don't have to worry about putting this adapter down on top of your RGB monitor and have it short or anything like that. Um, I have many projects that I just wrap in non-conductive tape. It looks so unprofessional. I know it looks like a hack job, but um, it, it works, so whatever. It's, it's good enough isolation, but overall, it's a project that I'm interested in, and I definitely want to get some experience with, but for more info, check out Ronnie's post, um, and it looks to be a pretty darn good solution. Brian Hargrove has just posted some Neo BIOS masters as well as the VMC version for sale on his website. And I'm going to start out by saying I'm recording this pretty early in the day on Tuesday, so I'm not sure if these are already sold out by the time that people watch this. My sincere apologies if they are, but I would like to talk about it anyway for people that aren't aware of them, and that way they'll know to purchase them the next time they do come in stock. Uh, but the Neo BIOS master is a way of adding the UniBIOS to specific model MV motherboards, including the MV1B and the MV1C, the same one that's used in the OpenMVS. And this is a much easier way of adding the UniBIOS than previous methods. Uh, some methods involve swapping the chip out, others involve directly wiring to each pin. And this one, you just place your UniBIOS chip in it. It does not come with a UniBIOS. You have to purchase your own or, or make your own based on the free version. But you insert your chip into this, you plug this on top of the uh, 68K chip on the MV1C, and then you lift the pin on the original BIOS to disable it, and that would give you the UniBIOS, and the VMC version is the same thing, but adds a virtual memory card, which is really handy. If you've never used saves with a Neo Geo before, whether it's emulation or on original hardware, uh, you might not realize how cool that feature actually is until you've started using it. It was really neat on my mini MV1C, 
MVS to start playing uh, like uh, Neo Turf Masters and have to walk away and come back, turn on the game, and there I am at my last level, you know, just ready to go and pick up where I left off. That was a pretty cool feature. So if stuff like that's important to you, definitely check this out. Um, it, please check the post for exactly which motherboards it's compatible with. And of course, on Brian's website, it has all the installation instructions and everything else you'd need to know. Once again, the Unibios chip itself is not included, so you would have to pick that up separately. Uh, and you might also want to dig into whether or not you would want a Unibios or whether or not you would need a VMC depending on your setup. Um, I would say yes in most cases. The Unibios adds a lot of cool functionality to original carts and it implements uh, implements some fixes for that 161 in one cart, uh, which is pretty cool. Plus it adds some other features to it. But if you're just using a ROM cart, you might not need it. Uh, I would still recommend the VMC, but at that point, if you're going to talk about just the Unibios, I'm not really sure if that's something you would need. I would look into it and decide which is for you, though. Uh, for me personally, I like having it, but I imagine that not everybody would need it. And if you need more info on ROM carts, the OpenMVS project, or anything else, please check out the post. I kind of tied everything together there. And once again, I hope these things are still available for purchase by the time you hear or see this, but you know they're, they're pretty sought after, so there's a good chance that they would be sold out. Last weekend, I did a live stream with Audi Sorley where we checked out a decent chunk of the 3DOs library, all on original hardware. And I did it for a couple of reasons. First, I absolutely love doing these live streams, and I'm going to keep doing them because they're a ton of fun. I have awesome guests on and really cool people in the chat. So uh, thank you all for joining all of these. There's definitely going to be more. I'm going to try to do a couple a month. But anyway, uh, besides just having a lot of fun, I wanted to to kind of answer a few questions for myself and for any other people that cared in that what are the best things to experience on some of these more obscure older consoles? I think just the whole experience of using them and streaming them and going through some games on it alone was awesome, and I'm really happy that I got to do that. But we did run into a ton of different scenarios where there were games that, if I had owned a 3DO in its heyday, I would have been so thrilled to play that version of the game as opposed to the others. But as time goes by, you kind of pick and choose which version you could play now. There might be more modern ports of each uh, newer consoles or like the Sony PlayStation after this may have gotten better ports, but there were certainly a lot of games that in their day would have been amazing. But I really also want to find the, the hidden gems or the thunder in paradise of the console, if you will. Basically a game that if you like that style of game would make you want to buy the console, buy the game and get everything restored and set up now today, you know, far outside of its heyday. And I absolutely thought Thunder in Paradise was like that. It was one of the best FMVs I ever played, even though the opening scene when you're shooting missiles and stuff was really boring. The rest of it was fun and cheesy, but in the exact way that you would want from that experience. So, you know, that plus a couple others in the CDI that I didn't get to try would certainly be good enough if that's the experience you wanted. As far as the 3DO goes, there was a strategy game that looked 
awesome that I didn't spend too much time with it because I felt like that's a game that would have been better if we streamed just that game. So got a friend over, you know, played it two players side by side and really spent an hour or two just playing that one. But that certainly seemed like a good one. Same with the Dedalius Encounter, the uh, the game with Tia Carrera in it. I, I still have never really played the game, but I would love to give it a chance someday and, and really just sit with it and see if it holds up. Uh, it holds up, I guess, in the same way that Thunder and Paradise was, you know, that you appreciate the, the cheese factor of it, but still liked the game. And there were a few others that I didn't get to that uh, my, my version of it didn't really work right, or they were kind of slower paced games that might not have been the best fit for a live stream. But overall, overall, I'm not really sure if I found my personal Thunder in Paradise on the 3DO. Um, but I'm still interested in it. And I'm still really glad I did that. And who knows, maybe I'll do another stream and specifically play those extra games that I missed on it. But overall, I, I love doing these. Um, I have so much fun doing them. Thank you all for joining. And hopefully we could figure out some other fun ones to do in the coming weeks as well. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody that watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody that supports in absolutely any way. Your support is what's keeping these weekly podcasts, the website, all the posts, and all the behind-the-scenes research going. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.